How many of you is it too late? Okay. Well, um, and uh, I want to talk to you as singles and encourage you to stay single. But I know you won't take it anyway. I've never talked to anyone out of getting married. Um, I want to just summarize and review. Think of this. You're in the first century in the city of Corinth. You've been an idol worshiper all your life, or you're a Jew that grew up in the synagogue. This guy comes to town. He preaches about Christ who was crucified, resurrected, bought you salvation. You put your faith in him. And all of a sudden, you've got all kinds of questions. Hey, I'm married to a, uh, a pagan worshiper. My husband still goes to the idol's temple, offers food to uh, idols, and even fraternizes with uh, prostitutes at the temple. Should I divorce him? It makes good sense to me. How can I have a godly home and have a husband still at the temple? Paul has to address it. They ask these kinds of questions. Whoa, whoa, don't, don't. Uh, I'm in a marriage with a guy that I don't like. How about a divorce? Don't. So he's giving all this practical kind of advice that today we would say, uh, well, what, what's this? Why does this even get in the Word of God? Because you don't know what it is to step straight out of paganism and not have any template on social b- biblical behavior. Now, if you grew up in a Jewish home, that you would have been miles ahead. But the pagan world in which there was divorce, uh, promiscuity, uh, no faithfulness, monogamy was nearly unheard of among the pagans. So... God is using Paul to answer the questions. If you see verse 1, now for the matters you wrote about. You see, they had a Q&A, and they wrote Paul while he was in Ephesus. So he's responding to their questions. He's not just, oh, I feel like telling everybody about marriage and singleness. They were asking these questions. Let's summarize. Follow me. It's good for a man not to marry. It's good never to have sexual relations, basically. It'd be great if you live without that. But since there is such, so much immorality, I recommend you get married. Sex is for marriage, and if you're being sexual, you need to get married because you can't honor God being immoral. So get married. And so then he goes into the marriage situation, and he says, be sure you don't get married and then still be uh, sexually starved to death. There ought to be a sharing and meeting of each other's needs, and he develops that. Then he says to the unmarried in verse 8, and widows, I say, be grateful you if you remain unmarried, just like me. But it almost sounds like if you're wimpy or if you can't control yourself, get married. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Then he begins to deal with the different marital situations. Verse 10 through 11, quite interesting, that marriage doesn't settle all the problems 
for married Christians. Do you ever hear this? If we'll just get married, it'll all work out. And if, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. And that's all it takes to really make this thing work. Well, Christians, it seems in verse 10 and 11, were separating. Some take that to be getting divorces or separating for whatever reason. And so he's having to tell them, if you do that as believers, remain unmarried or be reconciled. So even when they were going in to Christian marriages, uh, they were still having difficulties. Then, verse 12 through 16, hey, uh, I'm married to an unbeliever that wants to leave. They want out. Uh, Believer, don't you leave. But do not nail the door so they can't leave. If they want, if they're miserable in such a marriage and they can't buy your faith, uh, by all means, they have the right to leave. Uh, Don't uh, kill yourself to get them to stay. God's called you to peace. Let them go. Then in verse 17 through 24, He says three times, notice verse 17, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. Notice verse 20, each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Verse 24, brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. And he talks about ethnicity. Were you a Jew when God saved you? Don't try to be a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, don't try to become a Jew. Remain in your ethnic status. You don't have to change a thing. Then, no place in the Roman Empire did free men and slaves come together more than the church. And they're in the church. And he said, if God saved you as a slave, which there's about 100 million of them in the Roman Empire, this is not southern slavery in Mississippi. This is where the slave may be more educated than the man who owns him because he was won in battle in various countries. And what the Romans did, they took the cream of the crop, brought them back to Rome to educate their children, to tutor their children, to be the brain power that kept the empire going. So they they were people of education and status. They just had been conquered in war. And he said, if you were saved as a slave, remain there. Don't panic. But if you can get your freedom, usually by buying it, go ahead. What he's saying is, don't let your Christianity upset the whole social order in all your life. I was saved as a carpenter. I better quit because I'm now a Christian. I'm a new creation in Christ. I can't be a carpenter anymore. I'm married, but I want to be unmarried. He's saying, no, no. Unless you are in a sinful category that he said he washed you from in chapter 6, and he took you out of these various sinful categories, if it's just vocation, ethnicity, neighborhood, remain, remain. Don't throw everything up in the air just that because you became a believer. So he's telling them, remain where God called you. If you're going to make it an improvement on your situation, okay. But don't panic. Just because you're a believer 
doesn't mean you can't keep the same job you had when God saved you. Now, he's going to begin at verse 25 through the end of the chapter, uh, telling and arguing, uh, I'd like to tell you why I think it would be to your advantage not to get married. Now, isn't that interesting? Singleness in our culture, and it can be even in the church, is like a stigma a lot of times. What's wrong with you? Why haven't you got married? What would you do if they answered you, well, I took God's greater gift to remain single? Uh, I want an undivided devotion to the Lord that you couldn't do without getting married. I've been gifted to be in this status. So you've got to be kidding. You're going to be an old maid. Said, so, well, you're going to be a haggard old man. Who knows? But you see, we never, I never hear anybody argue for singleness. Paul does. And he was a single man. Now, there's a lot of uh, stuff out there. People say Paul must have been married at one time because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. That may be. That may be. So if that's so, his wife has either died or divorced him. But he chooses not to remarry, if that's the case. Or maybe he's been single all of his life. We're not quite sure of his own background. But he gets to say some things to us about singleness and marriage that the Lord Jesus never addressed. So let me just uh, begin to say why he says you ought to remain single. Uh, Number one, God gifts people to be single. He gives them that special gift. Notice back in verse 7. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul is saying, I've been gifted by God to live in a single state and have no undue problems from sexual passion and from not being under Uh, self-control. It doesn't bother me at all. I've been gifted by God to remain in this state, and many others have. So I said, I'm encouraging you. If God has given you that fulfillment in Christ and that contentment in your soul that you don't need marriage, you're not burning in sexual passion, why don't you remain single that you may serve God with greater uh, fulfillment? So uh, he moves on. In his argument, he goes down to 25. I'm speaking about virgins, and some translate it, the ESV translates this, to the engaged to get married. Uh, Because it's feminine, and it's people that are anticipating marriage. But he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crises... I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. 
But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you. Uh, they identified 100%. Uh, what he says here, some say this is not authoritative for all times. Because Paul is saying, in light of what I see going on in the times, pressures are coming on us as a church. Some say maybe impending famine, impending church persecution. Uh, and think of Paul. He's going to be martyred. He's going to be beat up. He's going to have nights where he's on the sea, holding on to a log. He's starved. He's naked. Surely I don't want to bring any woman into this kind of lifestyle. I don't need anyone with me through all my sufferings. And I see crises coming on the church. 70 AD hasn't happened yet. Nero hasn't burned Rome yet. But don't kid yourself. Persecution breaks out on the church where a man that's fleeing has to get his wife and his kids out of town. And what was so terrible in church history, oftentimes they could not get a man to denounce Christ. So what they learned to do was to kill his wife in front of him or to kill his children in front of him. And more broke under that pressure than if you take my own life. They would often uh, rip out a baby from a Christian wife. Persecution was brutal. It was bloody. It was pagan. Paul says, in light of hard times, I give you my best counsel. It'd be good for you not to marry. Now you say, but now the times are good. Take it any way you want. He spoke in that context. There's a crisis impending on the church, and it will be a hard thing for you to have to contend with a wife in these times. Not that she's bad, but it will be hard for you to care and to do that. It's tough times. He goes on to say, time is short, verse 29. Then he goes on, those who have wives act as though they didn't. Those who mourn as though they didn't. And he goes on to say, use the things of this world, but don't get engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. What is he saying? Um, time is short, and all of life is temporal. You're going to have to leave your wife anyway. Marriage is not eternal. And some of you say hallelujah. Uh, did you know marriage is not eternal? This momentary marriage, I will not be married much longer. Because life is fleeting. The coming of the Lord is imminent. And at the best, the things of this world are passing away, including marriage. Did you know that marriage is not an eternal thing? That you're only going to be married in this life a little while, and in the overall plan of God, it's a short run, it's a short time. Christ may break in, death may break in, all is in upheaval. So, don't get married to marriage. Stay married if you're married, but don't make it uh, your idol. 
the worst cases I've seen is people who moved a good thing to an ultimate thing, and they worshiped the one they were marrying. And I've been at weddings, and I've done weddings in this church that you would think the third heaven came down to earth as we were doing the wedding, and then six months later, they were divorced. Or the bride gets killed on the honeymoon. Paul is speaking. I've seen believers lose everything in a moment. I've seen them lose wife, husband. Pastors are being killed where he's pastoring. He's going to nearly be killed in Lydia himself. Derby, he barely survives. So he's putting it all into perspective. We don't like, don't talk this way. Don't get married to the temporal. Marriage is only a temporal blessing. Don't act like it's the eternal thing. Cherish it, protect it, but don't put all your hopes there because I don't care who you are. One of you is going to bury the other. Um, Then he says, let me get these reasons. I haven't been orderly. God has gifted some to be single. If you've got that gift, use it. Stay single. Two, consider the times. Is it the right time? And what I would say to our culture, a young man, before you put the lip lock on, uh, have you figured out how to support her? What? What's that? What's supporter mean? They, they call it work. That, that, uh, or, or get you a girl that has no appetite. And I haven't seen many. Uh, I used to take Carolyn to a hamburger place, five for a dollar. She ate three, I ate two. I was nervous from the beginning. I said, I, I can't match her. She could eat more hamburgers than me. But man, five for a dollar, just go for it. Irene's. Uh, Job, it'd be nice in light of the times today. Guys say, Well, I'll just get married. We'll just live together. Well, who's going to pay the rent? Mama, daddy, welfare. No, no, no. Consider the times. Uh, time is short. Uh, are you sure you want to spend the rest of your life married? Uh, fourthly, choose the life that has the fewest concerns. I'm trying to have you have an anxiety-free life, Paul says. Don't get married. Verse 32. I usually don't read these verses at many weddings. (laughs) I would like you to be free from concern, anxiety. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. He wants to praise the Lord while golfing, and she wants him to fix a project. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. And the word not to restrict you is an interesting Greek word, not to put a noose around your neck. 
I'm not trying to choke you into not getting married, but I'm just telling you it will take more of your time and more of your concern than maybe you want to give when you can have an undivided mind and none of these distractions of marriage, children, pregnancies, menopause, moods, uh, bills, health. Oh, man, avoid, travel light, travel light. Be like me. That's what he's saying. Travel light. I'm not trying to hang you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what he's going for. He's not against what God's ordained for the human family, but he's saying in this matter of the times and the shortness of time and in the urgency of the times, oh, I would get as many Christians to remain single if they would take that singleness and devote it to undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, a lot of folks are single not for this reason. They could be single for a lot of reasons besides devotion to the Lord. And I say to singles, uh, are you using your singleness to serve like never before? You know, if you're a single just sitting around and, God, when will you bring her to me? When will you bring him to me? No, 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 no. You ought to be busting yourself in Christian service. You ought to be serving here. Why? You have no distractions. You're available. you got all this time. I'm lonely. Well, those kids are too. Why don't you join our Sunday school staff? They just love. They'll hug you more than you've ever been hugged. But if you're just sitting around moping, uh-uh, no, no, no. The single Christian ought to have a single devotion. I'm serving God. I'm finding my contentment in God. My singleness I'm going to use for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to lament. Even if you want to get married, because when someone's looking for a real Christian that they can devote their life to serve God together, I want to find a chick that is in the yoke serving God, not standing around always polishing her fingernails. Because I don't want a high-maintenance woman. I want to get me a woman I could easily afford. That's what the blues song says. Get me a woman I could easily afford. Forty-five years later, I say that. She's getting more expensive every day. That dental work is going up. Uh, Paul is saying, I want you to be single because you can be like me. Let me tell you a great story. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, both were outstanding students at Wheaton Bible College. And uh, this was in the 50s. And uh, they were greatly in love. If you read uh, Through Gates of Splendor, uh, Elizabeth wrote a book on passion and purity. That she tells this story, how they fought to be pure in their relationship. But they were head over heels in love. But Jim says, I can't marry you, Elizabeth. Why? I'm going to the mission field, and I don't want to take you to the field. And I've decided I'll serve Christ uh, before marriage or anything here. I feel the urgency. I must get to the Aka Indians. So they parted ways. They didn't hear from each other for several years, and they went to a mutual missions conference held in South America and Elizabeth was serving in one part of South America, and Jim was serving in the other part without them either knowing it. They meet at the conference, 
And Jim said, well, you were going to come to South America anyway. Yeah, well, I, I want to serve Jesus too. Well, I've come to South. Well, if your heart's here and my heart's here, we can get married. We could serve God together. And so they put service to Christ first, but in the midst of serving, the Lord Jesus brought them back together. They get married, and Elizabeth gets to bury her husband after the Indians chiefs kills him, Nate Saint, and three other graduates of Wheaton, and Rachel Saint goes back to the same tribe that killed her brother, leads the man that killed her brother, Nate, leads him to the Lord. And Rich and I was at a shepherd's conference at John MacArthur where the saint boy, Stephen, who was a little boy, introduced us to the man that killed his father in South America. He says he'd become a believer, and he'd jump up and down, didn't know the English language, act like a little child, and just would jump and sing different Aka Indian songs, led him to the Lord. They had the plain there, the, what was left of it, out in the foyer where we could see it. So you see, a couple said, we can put marriage on the altar. We will be undivided in our devotion to Christ. And the devotion to Christ brought them both together. That's what I would say to singles. How much are you serving God with all the time you have on your hands? What are you doing with your money? Buying better cars and more stuff, stuff, stuff. How much are you giving to missions? What are you doing with your life? What's your excuse? Don't be just hanging out in the foyer of the church and mope. No, don't, don't dare do that. You pour yourself into the love of Christ. You're his bride. Serve and let every guy or gal around you see they've got a contentment without a mate. They've got a contentment without a date because they found their soul contentment in Christ first. If you don't find that contentment, no man, no woman can meet your deepest need. I didn't marry my wife to be my God. My wife can't be my God. I'm a wreck even though I am married if I don't get to God. I got to pray. I got to be in the word because there ain't no woman on earth can fill the deepest need of my heart. I got to have Christ there. We, you know what? We made marriage too much. We get all these expectations. We've idolized marriage. The white conservative church in the Bible Belt made the epitome of life was a good Christian family with all Christian kids. Why don't you read about the life of the patriarchs and see if you want your family to be like them? How would you like to have two sons named Jacob and Esau? How would you like to have Ishmael that daddy went over and had sex with Hagar? Now we got Ishmael, and Ishmael's going to hate Isaac the rest of his life. You ought to just see the patriarchs for the model of the faith family life. There are no unflawed families. Get over it. Get over it. Don't idolize something. God gave us a gift. God wants you to always know he's the perfect gift. Everything after him has a flaw in it even when it's a good gift. Because we don't know how to open good gifts too well. We tear the paper quite a bit. Well, this is pastoral. I'll be through seven today, so hold on. Um, if you don't feel any necessity to get married, don't. I think 
Singleness is the best. Listen to what he says in 38. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. Marriage is good, but let me tell you something better. Singleness. Is it, do you have that in your Bible? Have some of you already ripped that out? Okay, it's still in my A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think I, too, have the Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, if God's giving you the gift and the ability, remain single. Not that you can just be single, but that you may serve Christ with undivided devotion. And the church said, Amen. Why you ought to get married? Now let's talk about this. And he said, yes. Uh, the first thing, God is the one who rescued us. He said, Adam, you look downcast and lonely after naming all these animals because there's no counterpart to you that answers back to you. You need a divine help to deliver you from this loneliness and this being the only one of your kind. So God rescued us men we didn't invent marriage. God did. Because he knows what a wreck most of us men would be without a good wife. And the men said, amen. It was weak, but that's okay. <laughs> so you marry because you're lonely, you need a helpmate, and you accept this as God's gift. And, of course, God accomplishes many things through that, children and ongoing. Uh, if you do not have the gift of celibacy, don't dare try not to be married. He tells them, if you're having trouble, you, you have passion, you want romantic love, uh, you have normal desires there. He said, God has created an outlet where there's no sin. It's called marriage. Get married. You got to know in the Bible times, they got married young many times. Uh, they say that Arab uh, girls were married about the age of 12. And Jewish girls were usually given about the age of 14. Why were they able to do that? Economics. Economics. Because all you did is pitched another tent next door. And help me. Okay, Isaac, you keep grazing the sheep. Keep taking care of them. I paid the girl's father a dowry because he's losing the labor force and losing his daughter. It was all about money and terms. But... You just pitch a tent next door and go in, know your wife, give us a bunch of children. It's lonely out in this desert. We want lots of kids. Uh, we don't have to pay Kaiser. Uh, we don't have any expenses with it. It's an asset. Go for it. That was it. Economics in our culture and our morals, marriage is delayed, delayed, delayed. Uh, the average age I hear is 27 to get married, but of course, of course, that doesn't mean I've been monogamous. I must have lived with her three years because you don't know if you can make it as husband and wife until you first live together and see if you're compatible. So we've got young people because they can't, they don't have jobs, the economy of everything. Marriage is pushed out if it ever gets there. In the meantime, we can have sex. So that's where we are in California and in the United States. But, of course, he's teaching believers, now that you know Christ, uh, sex has to be in the arena of marriage. And that puts a whole lot of pressure on Christian young people. I think Christian young people 
on an average, have to get married younger than the unsaved. Because to be pure, they've got to marry. Well, the unsaved says, we'll have sex in the meantime. A lot of pressure on singles. We need to be prayerful for them. We ought to be kind. We ought to have them in our home. We ought to help them in this battle to do the will of God until God brings them a life's partner, if that happens. Um, so over and over, verse 7 through 9, verse 36, he wants to protect them from an immoral lifestyle. Uh, if you've got passion, verse 8, marry. Um, now, I think verse 10 and 11 says, even if you get married as Christians, it's full of challenges. You may even separate from each other as Christians. He tells them not to. He doesn't want them to. But it tells you that both being Christians doesn't make it free from problems. You get married to solve one problem, let's say the passion problem, and then you, you take on a lot of others. Are we compatible? Do we know how to argue together? Do you know how to solve a conflict? Uh, how is money spent? One wants to spend, the other wants to save. You know, all of those things, in-laws, outlaws, all of that. I mean, when you get all of that blending together, uh, marriage is full of challenges. One guy said before he got married, all he had was stars in his eyes, and now it was nothing but sand. And so, uh, uh, and, and I think it's an amazing thing, uh, and we've already been there, spent a month on it. You get married to solve this uh, passion that you're just busting with. Uh, and then you get in marriage, and I'll tell you what happens. A lot of men especially, the complaint will be the love life has nearly died. Because in marriage, uh, the bedroom is a reflection of whether you're getting along. It's a reflection of whether we're solving conflict, whether we're being treated with mutual respect and love. And this is the uh, thermometer over here. Let's take the marriage thermometer, and the bedroom is usually where it's measured, especially for men. Who can have sex without love easily? But the woman isn't built quite that way. It's hard for her to be over here without some respect, with some... Uh, getting along, and, and the closeness over here automatically results to a good relationship over here. But what we always pick on is the bedroom. Oh, the bedroom life is bad. It's bad. It's bad. And, uh, you know, it's corny, but it's one of my favorite lines. I just love it. I, my wife says, man, you've been telling it 20 years, you know. When the guy gets married, and he says the last time she had any sparkle in her eye was the night the electric blanket shorted out. Well, <laughs> And here, here he got married to thinking he's going to have a passion pit over here and marry. No, 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 it's become ringside six because they're battling out issues. You've got to know, have a person you can scrap with, come to resolution in the front room, and the bedroom becomes just a bonus privilege. But if there's conflict here and no respect here and no true love, no sacrifice, no understanding, uh, how can we expect 4th of July in the bedroom? No, uh, it just won't happen. The firecrackers become bullets. <laughs> I don't know where I got that, but it wasn't in the text. Uh, 
the Christian wife, I think something we should remember, even if you get married, verse 23 applies. Christian wife and husband belong to Christ before they belong to their husband or wife. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. This is the great tension in the mixed marriage where you've got an unbeliever who has none of the concerns of Christ. Why are you giving to that church? Why do you go to church so much? I can't stand. I'm staying home watching the game. Pass me another Bud Light. And she's over here and writes out a $25 check to missions, and they're ticked. We can't be afford giving that church. That's a big church. Where are you giving your money? By the way, did you buy those lotto tickets? I haven't won in 20 years, but I've got to get a monthly supply. And got this tension going on. I must say to Christian husbands, Christian wives, you need to get this straight. Get this straight. Your wife belongs to Christ before she belongs to you. I'm Christ before I'm my wife's. He says, I, my goal in arguing for singleness was undivided devotion. Let me ask you this. Are you able to be married and maintain your devotion to Christ? That is heaven's best on the earth. That you can marry a gal that you love, marry a man that you respect, and serve Jesus Christ, who we hope gave you that mate. You prayed for them, brought you together. We can serve Christ, honor him, and celebrate marriage. That's what I wish couples would do. Instead of going out, can they make out? Can we have sex? Rather, what you ought to do as a Christian man and a Christian single woman go out and say, um, where's their values? Where are they headed? What's their goals? And you can't get that answer with a lip lock. No, no. They got to talk. They got to share their heart. She's not here, so I could say it. That's what attracted me so much to my wife, besides being, I thought she was beautiful. Still do. But uh, we started going together my senior year of high school. And in those days, I drove that terrible distance from here to Concord. In de- those days, it seemed on no Highway 4. That seemed like out there in La La Land. I'm at downtown Richmond and stuff, and I'm going out there, and you can still see cows. And uh, we dated, and, and we had a lot of spats along the way. I, I remember, I only got to see her on a Friday night. Sometimes as the, mar- or the uh, courtship went along, uh, and I was getting older, sometimes I could be there Saturday. She was still living at home. I'm living at home. And so, you know, see her on the weekend, and then sometimes I'd go to church there with them. But uh, i never forget, one time we had the biggest spat, uh, I'm dating her, and so I get, let's say, a Friday night date, or it's a Saturday. This was Saturday, uh, and I went over on the afternoon and everything, and so this is going to be our Saturday night date, and she says, oh, you know what? She said, uh, we're going to be moving into our new building. Went to a little church there in Concord. She says, uh, 
we're going to be moving into our new building tomorrow. I said, well, isn't that wonderful? Great, man, that's a great bit. Yeah. She said, we're going to be waxing the pews tonight. All of us are coming out. We're going to wax the pews. We're going to do this and that. I said, wait, wait, wait. you think I want a date with wax and pews? I didn't come over here to see the church janitor. I came over to see you. She said, oh, you don't know how long we've waited for this building. She said, I will be there. I said, are you choosing the church over me? And she said, why, sure. I said, why, sure. A good man's hard to find, honey. She said, well, I ain't worried about it. You could either come and help or you can go home mad. I went home mad. I got over it. It just bugged the daylights out of me. I wanted to send her to the moon in the name of Jesus. I'm living for the Lord. I'm a Christian guy. I don't have a wrong. Come on, give me a little time here. We can talk together while we wax the pew. Laura was probably there too. Wax her. I said, come on, cut it out. Let's don't get this sanctified. Cut it out. You know what? I learned from then as I do now. You know, my, my wife comes out of this church a lot more than I want her to. Every Wednesday night, she's at Awana. I said, Anna Marie's got it. You don't have to be there. You're managing. I will be there. I want to meet the parents, and I want to meet lives. I manage because the church needs it, but I'd rather teach a child than manage a bunch of adults. My passion is to reach children. Do you understand that? But I'll be home by myself. The Lord bless you. Here's the TV controls. And we have, uh, you know, some baloney in the refridge. I said, honey, doesn't look good on a pastor's marriage. I know you shouldn't have married me. Because you know Jesus comes first, don't you? Well, I don't mind it theologically. Just don't practice it. <laughs> um, Christian wife and husband need to belong to the Lord. And I would just conclude what I would call pastoral remarks. How can you best serve Jesus Christ, single or married? Uh, marry if you must, but why don't you marry somebody that wants to serve Jesus? And why don't you do it as a married couple? Why don't you do it as a single? I don't care what category you're in. Paul said, you've been bought. And marriage is no substitute for Jesus. And singleness is no opportunity just to live an opulent lifestyle. God bought you to worship his son. Now, is he getting you single or married? Or do you use your marriage? I've seen women in this church especially they want to serve, 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 and their husband would throw a fit, and they'd have to resign, different stuff, because he had to be babysitted a little bit more. Big baby, get over it. Especially when he names the name of Christ and barely coughs during the service. You don't want your life wasted, not serving and giving Christ your best. I would say, um, I would say this, singles, you know what would be real nice for you to do? Try, this is revolutionary. 
You ought to date as many of our sisters and as many of our single guys as you can. And just understand that sex is not in the deal. Uh, my body's not in the deal. And, and who knows? It could cut your food bill if you date the right guy. Uh, I think singles stand around the corner too much. I dated a lot of girls before I got married, and I have no regrets dating any of them because I didn't have an agenda to hurt them. I just, we'd go out and talk about the Lord. No chemistry was going off. I said, hey, thanks for the date. Take her home. No kiss. You don't owe me anything. We just went out as a Christian brother and a Christian sister, and we don't have to have another agenda. Couldn't we just enjoy Christ together? What's wrong with a Christian man taking out one of our Christian sisters, neither one planning to get married to that person, but can't you be together? Uh, And I think we ought to be thinking this year around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, I'm going to talk to Sean about this. I think we need to figure out how we can be given to hospitality to all the singles in our church during the holidays that are widows, that are unmarried, maybe divorced or single, that have no family around them. Peter said, because of the last times, 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near, you ought to be showing hospitality to one another. No single should stay lonely if they're in a God-loving family, and you're in the family of God, and you married folks, be nice to single people. I don't care if they're a widow, 80 years old, or a young teenager. Be sensitive to our singles. We want to be good to them. We want to help them. And they're not under a stigma. They're in a special category. They may be very vulnerable, being very tempted, or they may have the gift to remain single. Let us count them as a treasure and help them, no matter what path they're on. Help them to give their all to Christ. And I was going to say this. Be careful when you're picking a life's partner. I have to say this. There's a lot of Christian women I thank God I didn't marry. (laughs) Being a Christian doesn't cover the cooties. I mean, uh, Jonathan, you got to be of my genre and my age. I mean, you cooties, how many grew up on cooties? Okay, you're over 50, thank you. Uh, That uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards had a suitor for his daughter, and the guy kept coming around, coming around, and kept trying to talk Edwards and saying, please let my daughter get married. Let my daughter, let me marry her. Let me marry her. And and Edwards would keep saying, no, no, she's not ready. No, no. And and the guy finally came, and he said, please, Dr. Edwards, let me marry your wife. Uh, You know, I, I believe God's in it. God is bringing us together. And Jonathan said, son, the grace of God can live with a lot of people you could never live with. And I know this girl's temperament. You don't want her. (laughs) And he wouldn't let her marry him. He said, I know this girl will drive you batty because I'm her dad. (laughs) And the grace of God, so when you're picking and choosing, there's a lot of things that go into making a Christian home besides both being Christians. Are you compatible? Do you know how to fight fairly? What do you feel about service? What do you, all that needs to be on the table. 
but it, it never gets on the table if you put the physical up front. You've got to put that. You need a life's partner. And those of you who've been through the pain of divorce, those who've been through various relational pains, you know it's more, much more than saying, I'm a Christian. Can you find somebody you can serve God together with? If you can't, pray God give you the gift to remain single. I say that on the authority of the Apostle Paul and as someone has seen people that marriage didn't make them happy forever after. Many became miserable from then on because they sold out Christ in the deal. Put Christ first, and you'll be amazed at how you can make it alone or make it with this helpmate. But the goal of your life is to give God what he bought. Jesus used the analogy of the bride, that he loves us. And he said in Ephesians, the only way I can tell you how deeply I love you as my people is that in the mystery of marriage. I bought you. I've sacrificed for you. Did you know you were ugly when he started loving you? He said, I washed you clean. I found you dirty. I found you unattractive. I found you as a rebel against God. And I told the Father, I will lay down my life as the dowry payment and let me clean her up. He had to beautify you with salvation to turn you into his bride. And did you know, someday sex won't even be a memory because God is going to take us to a superlative love when we see Christ face to face and we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All earthly relationships would dim by comparison. That It would be a marriage without sex. And the pagan religions abounded on sex and gods. Christ said, I will marry a bride in which sex is not at stake, but sacrificial love, beautifying grace, and the adorableness of Christ and a bride that says we've moved to a new level so that we don't even marry or give in marriage in the eternal state. God's got some new, I saw a book here the other day. It was on sex and marriage. It was called The Ultimate Pleasure. I said, that's a lie. That's not the ultimate pleasure. Seeing Christ and being with him forever and being transformed and to be the eternal bride of Christ, that's the ultimate pleasure. That's what you want to live for. We can stand. Let me pray. Our Father, strengthen our marriages. Those who are living with unbelieving mates, may you save them. Bring them to yourself. Those who are struggling with their singleness, give them the power to be under self-control and to trust you until you provide that life's partner. May we be sensitive to whatever category we meet fellow believers in. May we not be judgmental. May we be helpful. May we be an encouragement do it God's way. Do it with undivided devotion. Don't sell out cheap. Don't just marry anybody. Don't just have sex. Honor Christ with your body, for you've been called to holiness. You've been called to purity. Honor Christ above all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.